Hello everyone and welcome to the All In Football Podcast with me, your host, Cully Matharu. And as always with me today, I have Scunthorpe United fan Scott Williams, Manchester United fan Alex Rex and Leeds United fan Tom Hughes. Coming up on the show today, we're going to preview the weekend's top Premier League games as well as our weekly fantasy football and our EFL updates. We'll be talking surprise players, good or bad, of the season. If you want to give us a follow on social media, you can do so on All In Football Pod on Instagram and All In Football P on Twitter. Loads of content on there, particularly tips on fantasy football and to help your weekend hackers. Please remember to gamble responsibly. Right, boys, let's start with... Uh, we're actually going to start with surprise players of the season. Um, it's been a weird old season, hasn't it, with no fans? Some very surprising results along the way. And we've definitely had a fair share of good and bad surprises from Premier League stars. I'm going to start, actually, with Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. Tom, in terms of underperforming... Since he signed that new contract, how surprisingly poor has Aubameyang been this season compared to recent seasons? Not sure it's been a surprise, to be honest. Um, it's tantamount to the culture at Arsenal Football Club. Um, I, I think we saw it with Ozil. We've seen it with other players at Arsenal where potentially they drop off. And I think perhaps uh, it, it's a sign of the, the struggle that Arteta is going to have to really deliver uh, some amazing results at Arsenal. I think he's got a lot of outstanding players there that, I mean, obviously we're not uh, privy to what goes on behind closed doors, but there does seem to be a little bit of a culture at Arsenal that people go there. It's almost like a retirement home for quality players. And uh, I don't I don't think that Aubameyang, his, his drop-off in form is as surprising as maybe we might think it is. It is surprising that a player that good can be that lazy on a football pitch. But it's not surprising at a club like Arsenal. Um, I think they've got lots of examples of players that have done that. And perhaps it's going to take a really big shift. I don't think it's fair to just point at Bamiyang and say he's not been great. I think that it's tantamount of that club and the way it's been run over, over recent years. I don't think that they have the drive or the passion within that team. You see it with the young players that Arteta is bringing through, but not with the senior players. Um, so there's something broader, something bigger going on with the senior players of that club, which had been ingrained in them over years um, of, of being part of that Arsenal culture. So I don't think it is that surprising. I think as soon as he signed that contract, he's he's retired in his head. He's, he's done. Uh, Arsenal just a bit of a circus, a bit of a Mickey Mouse club now. Like I don't, I don't think they're a Mickey Mouse club, but something's got... Ch- Arteta, I think, he, the discipline action he gave to, he gave to um, Aubameyang for being late is a signal to me that you don't do that to a player that you're happy with because effectively you're dragging him out in front of the public. Everyone was going to find out. You're embarrassing him. Uh, people, the fans are going to question his, his commitment, all those different things. He doesn't do that to a player that he's been impressed with. So it says to me that there's underlying problems there. Um, I'm, you, I wonder whether how much of a say Arteta had in whether Aubameyang was a person to take him forward. But I do also think the reason he got that huge bumper contract is because when you look at Arsenal's team, he's the only player which you say probably they have to keep because everyone else has been so poor. So, you know, for Arsenal fans, if Aubameyang was to leave, who would they have? Who would be their talisman? So they kind of had to give him that contract. And since then, he's done potentially surprisingly, but maybe not. What we, what I maybe thought that might happen is that he's he's retired. He's mentally retired. You look at the West Ham game, right? So a lot of Arsenal fans were like, ooh, we came back from 3-0 down. Aren't we really good? We're revitalised. We're resurgent. So 
Two of them were own goals, and the other one came because they all looked like they could actually be bothered. That's what I saw. It was Erdegaard passing to Callum Chambers to whip in across as hard as he could, and it hit Dawson, actually, who's been one of the best players, actually, at centre-half. One of the great players for West Ham this season who's come from nowhere from a relegated Watford team. But they've got one clean sheet in 11 games of Arsenal. It's And after they had that, I think, four clean sheets in six, it's the um, it's coincided, this horrible run, with them uh, losing Smith Rowe to injury and with them um, Saka to injury as well. So, yeah, the experienced players are on their holidays there, aren't they? And, it, and Arteta will be looking at them and going, it's, it's you or me, isn't it? And he needs to clear them out. But the problem is, it's a really good point. If I was Arteta now, I'd be thinking, I need to clear them out, get in some fresh fresh faces. But I, I, who's going to take a Bamiang off, off Arsenal? You know, who's going to take him on that bumper contract? So... If it was a one-off, you'd say, oh, they're just it's the player, but it's it's not a one-off. So it's something something is just inherently wrong with behind the scenes at Arsenal. I don't know what it is, but um Arteta is gonna have some job turning that around properly. Yeah, it's definitely years in the making, I reckon. Um, Alex, you touched on West Ham there. One of the fantasy players of the season is Thomas Suchek. Uh, seems a lovely bloke as well, I have to say. Uh, what attributes uh, have made him so good this season? I love Suchek. I love watching him play as well. He's got so much like fight and drive. And alongside Declan Rice in the midfield, they've just complemented each other so well. He's what, six foot four. He's 26 years old. He's... Scored one goal in every three games, cost him 19 million quid. But actually, when you look at his record uh, at Slavia Prague, so I didn't do that until we did the research this podcast. I never knew what his record was at his previous club. I hadn't even done the background research. And he scored 31 goals in 114 games. So we shouldn't be surprised, actually, by his attacking returns and output that he's had in the uh, West Ham team this season. Um, and yeah, you're completely right. Uh, he's, I've got a soft spot for him because he's played 90 minutes in all 30 games for West Ham this season. And he was only five million at the start of the Fantasy League. And uh, he just, just what a great enabler. And he came off my bench loads of times and got me double figure points. So I wish he'd done that this week, but never mind. But yeah, Suchek, what a player. Love watching him play. He's not quite four now, though, Scott, is he? He's not, no. Um, shame he's hit, hit a bit of an injury there. So he's uh, yeah, shooing for a team of the season, but hey-ho. <laughs> right, um, talking about surprise underperformers, I think the whole Liverpool squad comes into that category this season. Uh, but one shining light is Diego Jota. Um, Scott, how good can he become and what position should he play for Liverpool? Yeah, I, I would I would tend to disagree with you there. I think there's two shining lights actually for Liverpool this season. One is Jota and the other one is definitely Alisson's moustache. That is looking very good at the minute. Um, he's actually but, shaved yeah. off today. He shaved off. Oh, is he? Gone. Okay. Gone. Well, that's that's the best thing he's done all season, so that's a shame. Um, yeah, Jota's been a revelation. I don't think anyone... I mean, I think it was about £40 million. Um, it was about £40 million, I think, they paid for him. I think that raised a few eyebrows, um, especially when we all thought it's going to be a backup. What's that? Considering the Werner fade at the... He's he's still not bad, you know, Werner. But anyway, (laughs) we're going to love in on Jota. 24 years old, still very young. He's got lightning feet. Some of his his agility and balance when he's on the ball is frightening. Um, And he's learning from the best, really, isn't he? Like, they've had poor seasons, Salah and Mane, but you can only be learning from them. And 
he plays with a couple of all right players in that Portugal team, doesn't he, as well? Bruno Fernandes is a guy called Ronaldo. So he's learning all the time. He's back six and 12 for Portugal as well. So he's not just like he's doing it for club level, he's doing it on international stage. 13 appearances, eight goals. He's, he's your most important player this season. That's fit. And yeah, it's great seeing him in there and very cheap in fantasy football. So it's amazing that, that Liverpool's most important player this season is a guy who only scored seven goals for Wolves last year. Um, that's a bad, bad season there, isn't it, for Liverpool when the, the, that's the, the best player. But also is important. I heard a stat today on another podcast I was listening to, but you know, you shouldn't listen to any other podcast, just listen to this one. But apparently Jota's been involved in 50% of Liverpool's goals when he's been on the pitch. Crazy, isn't it? How important he is. You say the seven goals at Wolves, but I think I read somewhere that Sadio Mane had a very similar record when Liverpool signed him at Southampton. Like it was almost identical record to Jota. So they've always got this uh, analytical team that that picks out these players. So I think for forty million, he's he's turned out to be a steal and a real positive for Liverpool this season. In in a season where it's not really been that positive, let's be honest. Um, Alex, a baffling story this season is Timo Werner. Um, I saw that miss for Germany the other day as well. Unbelievable how his confidence is shot at the minute. Everyone expected him to score bagfuls of goals. I think Scott quoted that he was guaranteed to be 15 goals a season. Uh, not, not finished yet, is it? <laughs> not quite happened just yet. Uh, will he come good and will Chelsea keep the faith? Uh, so five goals and nine assists this season he's got so far. Uh, off creating only eight big chances. So that's a great number of assists off eight big chances. He's not become a bad player overnight, though, has he? Let's be honest. He's got 78 goals in 127 games for Leipzig. Like, he's not a bad player. He's not become a bad player overnight. Um, he's had to play in multiple systems this season, in multiple different positions. Uh, again, full of a, a team of players that weren't playing for Frank and then haven't really performed that well themselves. I mean, out of the Chelsea front lot, who's really had a really good season this year other than Mason Mount? Like really, who's had like a who's who do you think's like gone? Oh yeah, they've been really quality this season. He's not really had the players a, around him. The thing that I'm really disappointed by is you can tell when he had that miss for Germany. Like that was a miss of a player who had lost so much confidence and focus, and that's what's that's what did like disappointed me. I almost felt a bit sorry for him, like a lost puppy when he missed that chance. Um, but yeah, I, I think will he come good this year? Probably not. Um, he, he might score a few more goals when Tuchel decides what his best team is. Is he a player in that best team? I think he is a player in that best team. Will he settle into a system? Will he settle into the players that were around him? Um, yeah, I think he'll come good. But I think it'll probably end up being when Tuchel settled them. It'll be next season. And I like Werner. Yeah, he's good like point. Him. He does. He, he he does look like he's just devoid of all confidence because that chance against Germany just. I mean, any player on the team scores that. It's just he's got. You can see he's thinking about all the different situations going through his head as that ball approaches him. All he needs to do is just tap it into the goal, and he gets his feet caught up. You know, it's one of those chances that you you literally only miss as a professional footballer when you've got zero confidence. That's that's it. So, um, I I do actually agree with Alex. I do think he'll come good at Chelsea. I think he's so good when when he's when he was in his prime at Leipzig, he looked unbelievable. And I think when he Maybe when he's got a summer under his belt, and like say, Tuchel gets a chance time to work with them in training. If he has a good start to next year, he could completely. We could see a completely different team of Werner. Uh, he looks like a massive confidence player. Some players are like that. Some players are hugely 
uh, hugely swingy based on how confident they are. And maybe he's one of those players. Yeah, I agree. I think he'll come good next season, 100%. Alex, you wanted to touch on Patrick Bamford as a surprise good player this season. I did. Um, I will openly say that I thought Patrick Bamford was going to be an epic failure in the Premier League. I thought outrageous prob- playing. Outrageous I, playing. I thought he probably wasn't going to make Christmas in the Leeds team. I thought he was going to get dropped. Um, I thought a man who'd scored what sixty was it sixteen goals in the Championship off an XG of thirty five for a team that was top of the league. The amount of chances he missed. The fact that he'd only ever scored one goal in the Premier League before. I, I just I, I looked at I looked at Bamford and I thought this man I'm afraid isn't the man for Leeds United moving forward. And he has proved me wholeheartedly wrong. And I love watching Bamford play 90% of the games. I think he does really, really well. I think he's proved a lot of his doubt was wrong. And uh, yeah, 14 goals and nine assists this season. What, what what a player, really come good. And I think he's proved a lot of the haters and doubt was wrong. So good on him. And I was one of them. Yeah, outside shout for the plane to uh, the Euros as well. Uh, Scott Sadio Mane, big disappointment this season. Yeah, horrendous, isn't he? Um, I've I've thought I I put a bet on him at the start of the year to be top goal scorer. I thought he'd really not come good, but really just elevate himself above uh, the Salah this season. Um, it surprised me fourth fourth in twenty nineteen for the Ballon d'Or, fourth and fifth for the Men's Player of the Year um, in twenty nineteen, and fourth last year for that. Um, it's really disappointing. You look at his stats; they're basically half this season, which obviously just goes alongside how poor Liverpool have been. But yeah, he looks he looks uh, short of confidence, to be honest with you. Um, and I think he'll come good again. He's still young, isn't he? But yeah, he's just one of the one of the many drab Liverpool players this year, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, Tom, uh, Yuri Tielemans, uh and William, you wanted to mention as well, I think. Yeah, Tielemans, I think, has been excellent for Leicester. They're very, very good, Leicester. You're talking about scouting at Liverpool with these players. That You know, Jota was proven, £40 million player. It's not not cheap, but Leicester just have this talent in unearthing. Uh, very cheap, very decent uh, decent signs, and Tielemans has looked brilliant in the Premier League. And popping up with goals as well, really important goals for them, Um which is not a quality I knew he, he possessed, uh, but he's shown that he does. So, yeah, Tielemans, I think, has, has, has been surprisingly good and surprisingly important for Leicester this year. Um, and on the flip side of that, yeah, I think you talking about the Bamiang at Arsenal. How disappointing has William been for Arsenal? He may as well have just not gone. I mean, it goes back to that club culture at Arsenal, but he's been terrible. Uh, I think you can also throw Van der Beek in there at Man United as well. What was the point of signing him? Yeah, I uh, definitely have to agree with the Van der Beek one. Definitely a bit, bit of a pointless signing. Right, OK, we're going to change the pace now. And with a review of the Championship, uh, here's Scott. Cheers, Cully. Very brutal on Van der Beek at the end there. <laughs> I think that's it'll come good. Um, yeah, so uh, busy bank holiday Easter weekend as always. Um, all clubs playing twice in the space of five days. Starting as we always do in the Championship. Uh, Leaders Norwich picked up four points, including the 7-0 spanking of Huddersfield to remain eight-point clears at at the top. A win and a draw for Watford keeps them second and looking really good for that second automatic promotion place. Brentford continued to stutter as they drew their fourth game in a row. Swansea lost both games and that's now four losses in a row for the Welsh side. Um, They look like they will now be concentrating on just trying to clinch one of those playoff spots. Barnsley and Reading both picked up four points to stay in the playoffs, while two wins for Bournemouth keeps them just outside them with a game in hand. 
looking at the league table, like I said, the real fight is for the playoff spots. Five teams currently contesting them. Can't really see the likes of Cardiff, Millwall, Middlesbrough, Stoke going on a big enough run and getting themselves in the mix with only six games to go. At the bottom, back-to-back wins for this weekend for Wickham have given them a glimmer of hope. A massive 5-0 win against Cardiff has also pushed Sheffield Wednesday level on points with third from bottom Rotherham, who suffered back-to-back defeats. Birmingham, Coventry, Derby and Huddersfield all picked up some vital points. Exciting end to the season in the Championship, as always. Looking ahead to the weekend, game of the weekend for me, Bournemouth versus Coventry. Bournemouth are desperate for points to get them back in the playoffs. Coventry, desperate for points to ease their relegation fears. And one for the Acker, QPR versus Sheffield Wednesday, over 2.5 goals. There's been 25 goals in their last eight games combined. That's an average of over three goals per game. Mid-table QPR, don't really have anything to play for, so it could well be an open game. And finally, just to end this section today, um, it's actually a question sent in by one of our listeners, Liam. He wanted to know, boys, if you were a Premier League manager right now, who would you be looking at recruiting from the Championship in the summer? Who do you could, who do you think could make up that step up, and why? For example, we've had Watkins at Villa and Bowen at West Ham lately. I'm going to throw the question out to you first, Alex. Who would you be looking at? One of my favourite players um, to watch in the Championship is actually a player called Josh De Silva, who plays for Brentford, and. Every time I watch him play, he seems to have a really strong impact on the game. He's 22 years old. He was in the Arsenal Youth Academy. He was released in 2018. He's left-footed. He's strong. He's quick. And I think he will be a great addition to any central midfield for any sort of bottom-half Premier League team. Absolutely. I think he would improve quite a lot of sides, actually. Um, And then one of my other players that I really like is a player everyone will know already if they watch the Premier League, which is Todd Cantwell. Um, 23 years old. Um, his contract's up at the end of next season. So I think we're probably looking at Cantwell getting promoted with Norwich this year, playing next year in the Premier League for Norwich, and then we'll, whether they get relegated or not, I think he'll be one of them players that stays in the Premier League. Um, he's got, I think, five goals this season already, or he had last time I looked. Um, yeah, I think they're, they're both some really good shouts and players that I really love to watch. And uh, yeah, obviously, shouts for England squad, Cantwell in particular. Yeah, I think that's good. Campwell, I'm really happy he stayed, uh, dropped down, did a year in the Championship. I think it's done good. I think it does a lot of players good when they do that. And um, he can do some really good performances. Man U in the FA Cup, I think, last year, he was outstanding at performance that bring, uh, springs to mind. So, yeah, some really good shouts. Uh, Tom, who over to you, mate? Who, who do you think can make that step up? The first one that jumps out to me is Elise um, at Reading. He's uh, brilliant. Uh, the reason I first uh, kind of uh, knew about him as a player was because Leeds were linked with him. So obviously just scouting out players that we might be interested in. And then when you look at him, and I've watched a few games with him uh, involved now, some of the football that he plays is absolutely brilliant. He's definitely a Premier League player. I think there's no doubt there. He's going to be a Premier League player. It's just a question of what level he can go to in the Premier League. His positioning uh, is, is excellent. His passing range is brilliant. I think he's got nine or ten assists uh, this year in the championship, um, and five of those have come from set pieces. Uh, so he's a very good uh, dead ball, uh, dead ball deliverer, which is important um, in the Premier League. We know how important that can be. Uh, he's got great range, really good agility. Um, 
I, I think it's it's not a question of whether he'll step up. It's a question of when and who he will step up with. Um, I know there's a lot of big clubs interested in him, the Villas, the Leaders, but also potentially some clubs even above them. So uh, Elise is uh, definitely on my list. And I think a player that Liverpool are interested in as well, Pedro um, uh, Watford, is a really good shout. Uh, very, very strong player moving forward. Um, so I think that there's definitely the potential for him to take the step up as well. Yeah, good shouts there, good shouts. And Cully, over to you, mate. Um, I'm going to pick two Norwich players, which is, um, I know, a bit appalling considering they're top of the championship, so a bit easy to, to pick. But uh, Buendia is one of my favourite players of the championship. He got a goal and three assists the other day against Huddersfield and looked a Premier League player to me. He didn't really shine as much as he could when he played in the Prem. But I think that was because of Norwich's overall quality anyway. Um, Arsenal were linked with him last season. Uh, I think it was around £30 million they could have got him for. It, it was going to be a potential risk. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I think they should have maybe punted him uh, for him uh, to replace Ozil on a long term. Um, and then Max Ahrens as well. He was linked with Bayern Munich and AC Milan this summer for around £30-35 million. Very talented right back. Um, I think... A long list of English right backs at the minute. He could be in with a shout. He's only 21 as well. Uh, I think probably this summer he'll get a, a decent move to a big club, uh, either in uh, the Premier League or Europe. So, um, yeah, Aaron's and Brundier for me. Yeah, very good shouts. Uh, I'm just going to uh, throw one name out there, and that's Ivan Tony. Anyone who knows uh, Football League or Championship Football will know the boys absolutely smashing it at the top of the goal scoring charts. He's used to play for my club, Scum 40 United in League One, and he was incredible in there when we were pushing for promotion, um, and he's he's gone off uh, to Peterborough. He's done brilliant, and he's doing fantastic at Brentford. I really hope Brentford can get over the line. They've got some really exciting players who Alex have mentioned there, so fingers crossed. But, yeah, great questions, and, yeah, yeah keep keep sending them in. Like I say, we're all over social media, and just get sliding into them DMs. Cheers, Scotty. Thanks for that uh, roundup, mate. Um... Right, lots of Premier League action this weekend with uh, many teams uh, that are going for top four relegation battles as well. Uh, we're going to start with Leeds' trip to the Etihad. And Scott, just how well have Leeds done this season in their first season back in the Premier League and can they upset the odds at the Etihad? Yes, yeah, so the Leeds have probably underachieved a little bit this season, I would say. Um I think majority of fans will agree with that. No, obviously not. Well done, Leeds. You're so brilliant. You've got all the plaudits. Yeah, team in a year. Um, in all honesty, though, obviously living in Leeds, you do get it shoved down your throat a bit, but they have done extremely well. And they are fantastic to watch. They have been for a lot of years now, um, which is good because they are on TV every game, every week for the last 10 years. Their attacking, their attacking style is good. Um I believe only Man United, Man City, Leicester, West Ham, Liverpool and Spurs have scored more goals. Uh, but on the flip side, there's literally about four teams that have conceded um, more goals than them. So obviously a great team to watch. Um, they're big, it, they've sort of big buy and Rodrigo has sort of flopped a little bit as well, which I think just credits Leeds even more than being able to do it without them. Their, their best player, not player, but their less, best asset, let's be honest, is Bielsa. Um, they just need to keep hold of him. And I think a lot of big clubs will be after him. So good luck, Leeds United. Um, so, yeah, Man, Man City, yeah, it's only a matter of time before they can uh, run away with that. Do I think Leeds will get anything from the game? No, but I think Leeds are as good a job as anyone. They've 
ran him close at the start of the season. But I think with uh, City, it's, they're just going to probably win every game now to the end of the season, steamroll it. So, can't see him getting anything, but will be a cracking lunchtime kickoff on Saturday, that. One of the best times to play City, isn't it? Looking at it, because mm. I mean they're, they're right in between a Dortmund tie. The they'll, they'll rest De Bruyne, they'll they'll rest a couple of other big players. You'll probably, I mean, not that City don't have strength in depth because they have the best strength in depth in the league, so you're still always playing a top quality side. But um, I do think you're between probably two of the most important games for them in the season. So yeah, I think Leeds. If if they were going to play City, now's now's the time that a two-one lead in in the Champions League to play mm. them. So you, you, yeah, but no. and I like the fact that Leeds have a go at City. That's the way to to beat City. Like if everyone sits back and lets them pass, 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 pass through goal. You're never going to beat. Well, you're never going to beat. Very rarely going to beat City by letting them just play their own game. So I, yeah, I don't really yeah. Leeds do it. The, the the only thing that disappointed me from Leeds this year was the I genuinely thought they could win the FA Cup. By the time the FA Cup that they were playing in it, let's be honest, you can say what you want, Tom. Leeds were pretty much safe. They was not going to go on that bad a run the way they were playing. They could have had a real go at winning that because on the day, they've shown this season they can beat anyone. And the fact that they just absolutely bottled it and played shite against Crawley Town and let Mark Wright do bits against them was a bit embarrassing. But all in all, well done, Leeds. Good season. I, I can I see mean, steam coming out of Tom's it's... head. <laughs> Honestly, well, the fact that he's saying Mark Crawley did bits against us came on about, for about 10 seconds. Mark Crawley. Mark Wright. Mark Wright. Mark Wright for Crawley. Mark Crawley. I'm, I'm so angry I can't even get my words out now. But a few, a few little points on that. Uh, you know, our defence has been bad. I don't think anyone can question that. But also, one of the things that people love to talk about is how injury prone Liverpool have been this year. Everyone's out injured for Liverpool. Leeds aren't far behind them and it's all been centre-backs. We signed a German and a Spanish international at centre-half, and both of them have barely played. It never gets talked about. We've used about nine different centre-back partnerships this year. That may actually impact a club. We've um, had 24. So <laughs> We've had 24. <laughs> so you're 24 what? Yeah. Different centre-back partnerships. 24, 24 points behind Man City. Is that what we're saying? Yeah. Oh. Uh, we're plenty more than that. <laughs> but but, the, but there's, a re- there's a reason behind the defensive frailty. But what I will also say on the counter side of that is I don't actually, I'm actually with Scott on this, I don't see us getting anything from the game against City because, yes, we, we cut them close the first time around, but that was a very different City. We played them early on in the year. Um, I think it, we, I think we're going to struggle against City this time. And, yes, they are going to rest players for that Dortmund game, but City can rest players and still have... Two billion pounds on the pitch, so you're gonna you're gonna really test City's uh, concentration, I think, because their 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 head will be in Dortmund. So I think you're gonna potentially. You're, I mean, you're, look, you're gonna I'm really always, test them here. I'm always optimistic, but it's hard to be optimistic against the best club in the world. I'd at least to get a point in that game. I think you'll draw. I think it's a guaranteed over 3.5 goals. I think that's definitely one for the Acker in it, Scott. So, um, Alex, we're going to move on to Liverpool Villa. Um, the Reds are uh, doing their best interpretation of Jekyll and Hyde this week. Um, but this game is a reversal. That 7-2 humiliation at uh, Villa Park for them. How much will that affect Liverpool in this game, do you reckon? I can't believe you gave me Liverpool to talk about on this podcast, Cully. What a great, what a treat. I get to talk about 7-2. I've never been happier to see a team lose 7-2 after United got embarrassed 6-1 by Spurs in the same game, same game, same day. What a great moment in my life that 7-2 was. Anyway, but you can't be that bad again. And they won't be that good again. 
So that, let's let's not worry about that happening again. Um, but I'm pretty sure that by the time we got round to 15, 15 or game week 16, that that was still the only loss that Liverpool had had this season. You were top of the league. So, you know, you, you actually didn't have, everyone was talking about how bad your start was. It wasn't, it wasn't that terrible. It just wasn't the same level as where you were before. Um, yeah, I think, it, I think Jota coming back into the team is massive for Liverpool in that game. I think Fabinho being back into uh, the holding midfield position for that game is key. Um, you've, you've got a bit of a structure back. Trent's looking like himself again. Robertson, again, is just, a, you know, if they start to trust Phillips and Quebec, I like Phillips and Quebec. I know they got undone by quality against Madrid in the week, but yeah, okay. I, I, I think Liverpool will still get points. And I think actually fantasy football, I think the captain options are looking maybe like at Jota for the weekend for that one. Um, Villa-wise, I was chatting to a, a really good friend of ours who's a, who's a Villa fan today, uh, and I was asking him about it, and he would, and he said, oh, it's really easy to talk about and be, really do lazy punditry and say, oh, Villa should be happy with the fact that they've done better than last season. They nearly, they nearly um, got relegated, uh, but it's been seen by some Villa fans as a really big missed opportunity. I think they had games in hand to go third at one point before the COVID outbreak happened at, at Villa. And since then, they've come back. They've had games to um, to, to catch up on, and it's just it, yeah, they've not they've not delivered and they've not got back into it. Barkley's injury, Grealish's injury. Um, so yeah, I think the injuries have affected them. COVID's affected them. I think overall, at the end of the season, if they were offered top ten, like at the beginning of the season, if they're offered top ten for the end of the season, they'd have taken it and bitten their hand off. So they should actually really be happy with it at the end of the day. But yeah, some Villa fans are seeing it as a missed opportunity. Bit, bit, bit of a word one for me. Maybe a bit arrogant from some Villa fans that think because they're a big club, um, they, they should be pushing up there. Like I said, there were a couple of injuries which they've had away from really struggling. Um, so I, I know there's certain fans of certain clubs. There's plenty of Leeds fans out there that think they should be Champions League at the end of the day. Um, you're a big club, yes, but just build on what you did last year, which they have done. Um, because it could easily, they know, Leeds fans know, it could easily go the other way at the end of the day, couldn't it? So build on that, get a bit more strength and depth and maybe push for top eight next year. I'd yeah. agree with that in the end, yeah. Villa, Villa only still in the Premier League because of a technical glitch. Let's not forget that as well. <laughs> they kept on a good... They had a good run of form towards the end of the season last season. They carried it on into the beginning of this season. Should, should be think... championship, though. Should be championship. Let's not, let's not beat around the bush. They should be a championship side right now. One of the other things I think that's really happened to them technically is that, that you, the Grealish has got figured out. And they realise that they, as a team, especially without Barkley, um, they are a one-man creating machine, really. So in terms of doubling up on Grealish and then that stop the feed into Watkins, it has made a, a massive difference. So they need to um, need to be a little bit less one-dimensional, maybe a little bit more creative. Right, another reverse of a shocking scoreline um, earlier on in the season was Spurs against United. Spurs hitting six at Old Trafford. In terms of Spurs, Tom, in response made to, about uh, his inability to keep leads, uh, leads in games now, Jose responded saying, same coach, different players. Is he right or is he just completely outdated now? Don't think he's outdated, Cully. One of the best managers in the world, not going to become outdated uh, overnight. So I think it's a bit of a stretch to say that. But that being said, clearly something's not going right for, for, for Jose at Spurs. I think it's probably a little bit arrogant of him 
to say that it's all the players' fault. He is the manager. He sets the team up. He picks players. Does he have some weaknesses in that side? Yeah, for sure. There definitely seems to be, uh, I guess, an inability at Spurs to cut mistakes out. Even over, even during the Pochettino reign, they, they were renowned for making big mistakes and they never managed to get uh, that out of their game. So there is probably a little bit of that element in the players at Spurs, but also... Jose Mourinho is a very good manager. He should be able to get the best out of the players, and he's clearly not at the moment. Um, so a bit of both, a bit of both, and I think perhaps he's been a bit, uh, been a bit arrogant, which is not like Jose Mourinho, uh, in saying that it's mostly down to the players because coaches have to change as well with times. So. Yeah, I have to agree with that one. Uh, and in terms of United, they've come back again last weekend. 25 points now earned from losing positions this season. Does that show a strength of character or a weakness going forward? For me, a weakness. If you want to be a top side, going behind in a game is a weakness. I think it's as simple as that. It's a game of football. Conceding goals is never viewed as a good thing. Certainly conceding the first goal is never a good thing. Does it show strength of character come from behind? Absolutely, yes. Um, and I think we should applaud them for that because they have done it time and time again. But at some point, we should also start to question why they're going behind so much. Um, I think Alex has talked about it before where he talks about how lethargic they can be um, at the start of games. I'd be concerned because if they continue to go behind in games, they're going to have to continue to come back to win those games. They're not always going to manage to do that. And ultimately, it will cost them trophies. It will cost them the ability to go and challenge for titles. So, uh, yes, great great strength of character to come back in games. We all know that that's tough to do, but they shouldn't be going behind in the first place. They've got one of the best squads in the, in the country. They should be going out there and playing from the start, not starting after half an hour once their team has snapped them out of it. And maybe it's a mentality thing because they're playing, in their view, a lesser opponent. Certainly an intriguing game. Um, quick scoreline prediction then, Tom. What do you reckon? I don't want to go for an actual score, but I'll go for an over 4.5. I think it's going to be like 3-2 or something like that. They've both got terrible defences. So. Sitting on the fence, uh, that's called, I think. Um, well, sc- uh, we'll, we'll call it 3-2 three, three Spurs. Okay, 3-2 Spurs. Um, Harry Kane, hat-trick, I assume. Um, Scott? Um, time to talk about West Ham Leicester now, mate. Uh, try not to rave too much about your favourite team in the league. Um, they've got a big game, obviously, in the top four race. Got to ask about Lingard first. He's on a, a brilliant uh, vein of form. There's always one player in there with the England squad that always comes in late. Uh, is he that man this this summer to come into the Euro squad that's a bit of a surprise? And Declan Rice's injury, really bad timing for them. Is that going to cost them top four? Yeah, so, as you know, I love talking about West Ham. They are the fourth best club in the league this season, after all. Um, yeah, Jesse Lingard, what a revelation. Um, it's been fantastic to see him come back from the dead, basically. Very much as way as John Stone's son at Man City. Um, it's always good to see a little bit of a uh, Cinderella story. If I've always said it. We take players on form. If the Auras were tomorrow, he would be in my squad. Um Different conversation. There's still a few games going to Premier League. You might peter off. Someone else might come through. But at the minute, absolutely. And unfortunately, as much as we all love Jack Grealish, is this injury seems to be going on and on and on and on. And I'm worrying for him now. Um, so for me, yeah, absolutely. He's he's one of the first names on that sheet um, for me going to the Euros. 
Declan Rice going to be a massive blow. We all know, know how much I love uh, Declan. Um, he's fantastic. I think he's becoming an important player for England as well in that CDM spot. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be difficult for them to get top four, but I really hope they do clinch it. It'll be refreshing to see them uh, in Champions League next year. Uh, in terms of Foxes, um, against City, they were a bit underwhelming. Were you a bit mm. underwhelmed by them as well? They didn't really lay a glove on them, did they? And is this game a must-not-lose in terms of avoiding another meltdown in top four? Yeah, they, they were a bit lethargic, wasn't they, against um, um, against City? Not their usual self. Um, they do have some players coming back, though, um, from injury, some of their key players. I would usually say it's definitely a, a do not lose, but they do play um, Chelsea and Spurs last two games this season, who they will more than likely be tussling for that top four position with. So they can pick points up against their rivals there. But I think for morale more than anything, certainly don't want to be, um, yeah, don't want to be losing the game. I think a draw is fine for him, but a win is obviously vital. I would love, love, love to see Leicester and West Ham in that top four this season. Um, like I say, refreshing, and they deserve it. They've got two of the best managers in the league, and I love watching them play. They play great football, don't they? So, joy to watch. Uh, yeah, I've, I'm, I'm one to. I like to see them uh, finishing top four, but not at the expense of my club, of course. Uh, right, uh, going to stick with you, Scott, for the EFL roundup now, mate. So, crack on, pal. Perfect. Cheers for that, Cully. Yeah, so we'll dive straight back into it. So, uh, into League One we go. So at the weekend, Hull won back-to-back games to remain top. Peterborough and Sunderland picked up four points in their two games to fall off the pace slightly. They do have two games in hand over Hull, though, so it is plausible for Hull to slip to third after those. It's incredibly tight, though, yet again at the top. Uh, Portsmouth and Blackpool both picked up maximum six points to remain in the playoffs, with Lincoln, who are slipping because of COVID postponement. As we mentioned last week, the race for the playoffs is incredibly tight, with any of the top 10 now having realistic aspirations of promotion. At the bottom um, of the league, only six points separate the bottom six teams. Rochdale, Wigan and AFC Wimbledon failed to win, which means a win for Bristol Rovers took them level with Swindon in 20th. Game of the weekend this weekend, Doncaster versus Wigan. It's now no wind in seven, including five losses for Donny. They'll be desperate to get back to winning ways and get back in the playoff positions. And no win in their last five for Wigan, who need the points to claw themselves out the bottom four. Very nervy, but very important game. And one for the Acker, Lincoln versus Blackpool, over 1.5. Lincoln's last 12 games have all been over 1.5. Blackpool's last six have all been over 1.5. And into the best league in the football league for me, League Two, where my boys come for United sit. Um, we touched on this last week, but the first thing I want to mention is Harrogate versus Port Vale. Port Vale won the game and won their fifth game in a row to take them well and truly out of any relegation mix. But a main talking point was the woman in the middle. Rebecca Welsh became the first woman to ref a game in the football league. And according to official reports, it was a brilliant job done by her. Alex touched on this last week. It's great to talk about it. And she's going to be a role model for hundreds, if not thousands out there. Let's hope we see more of this and it continues going forward. Back to the league itself. At the top, four points of Cambridge and Cheltenham means they still lead the way at the top of League Two. No wins for Tramia, Bolton, Forest Green Rovers and Morecambe leaves it incredibly tight. Only four points separate third from seventh. 
At the bottom of the league, Grimsby did what Grimsby do best. They took their lead, took the lead in a game of football and drew it. Seven draws in their last eight games. Seven points from safety now. Will they be kicking themselves that a couple of them draws weren't converted to wins at the end of the season? Southend could only pick one point to leave them five points off Colchester. Um, Colchester picked up two points, but it's now one win in 24 games. Remarkable stat, that. Are they going to limp over the line to safety? And four points for Barrow etches them towards safety as well. Fresh news coming out today as well. Phil Brown has taken the reins at Southend. Can he be the one to get them out of trouble, basically? Game of the weekend, Cambridge versus Exeter. Both going for promotion. Expect fireworks. And one for Yaka, Port Vale versus Morecambe. Both teams to score. Port Vale have scored in the last five games. Morecambe have scored in the last eight games. And last thing to mention, a little bit of a stat, this one. Any one of you boys know the only team in the football top four divisions of the Football League to be unbeaten still this season? I think it's Salford. You think? Yeah, it's completely correct, Cully. Um, you've been following those uh, social media platforms. It is Salford, but they're certainly the um, epitome of Jekyll and Hyde. They're the only team, like you say, unbeaten, and they're second in League Two for their home form, but they're 17th in the League Two for their away form. Bit of a crazy one, that. They certainly need to uh, be looking into that next season for a promotion push. Right, time for a bit of fantasy football now, and I finally had a somewhat decent week, so I'm happy to talk about it this week, finally. Take it away, Al. I'm not happy to talk about it. Game week 30 review, my worst week of the season by far. Three of my Spurs players were benched. My three City players were benched. I had four blanks. just wasn't a good week for me overall. Uh, the top three scorers are owned by a combined 3.8% of the game. Pereira with 21 points in that bizarre 5-2 win. Benjamin Mendy scored and kept a clean sheet versus Leicester with 15 points. Trezeguet's two goals against Fulham in 28 minutes means he scored one point for every 12 minutes he was on the pitch with 14 points. Rest of the big scorers were mostly predictable. 48% owned Harry Kane, got 13 points. So did Jack Harrison and Nathan Redmond. Trent, Jota and Lingard with 12 each. And I panicked and got them all three in on my wildcard this week. And 11 points for Callum Robinson, who, funnily enough, has scored four goals this season and they've all been against Chelsea. Uh, Coleman, Ings, James, Rodriguez, Osborne, Chris Wood, who's now scored three and three, round off the double-figure scores. Like I say, Cully, I can't move on to the next section without coming to you. A massive 75 points this week. You were in the top 100,000 managers in the world this week. Um, you were moaning on the WhatsApp group about your players being benched and then six of the seven uh, attackers returned. So talk me through your game week. Well, you've got to have a bit of a moan to, to try and get it your way, aren't you? Uh, Jota started on the bench, but he came on to score two goals for me. Imagine what he could have done from the start. And Raheem Sterling as well has got benched. Don't know what's going on with him at the minute. Pep doesn't seem to favour him. Um, but he came on to go and assist. Uh, Harry Kane, finally, I get a captain choice right after like six or seven weeks of absolutely terrible captain choices. So it's no coincidence. As soon as I get a captain choice right, I have a good week. Um, apart from J- Kane and Jota, Lingard as well. Uh, and th- those are the three really main scores. I mean, the rest of the team was solid. Yeah, those three are looking really good long-term picks as well. Uh, Tom, another uh, 53 point for you, climbing another 50,000 places. And Scott, with only a third red arrow in nine, it's not like me to put you last out of the three of you guys with 51 points, but you still did better than me. And we'll stop talking about my game week. 
Um, this week, I put out a really good Instagram post, if I do say so myself, and I had a really good response to it with, uh, with options for players, for teams for the rest of the season. Um, I got a few questions coming from listeners. Uh, so, Cully, I know you've collated those. So, what's the first question that we've had from the listeners? Yeah, first question for you, mate, is best teams to invest in for the rest of the season? So this one, we're probably looking at four main candidates. So we're looking at Arsenal. I wouldn't over-invest in them because I've only had one clean sheet in 11. So you're probably looking at uh, someone like Lacazette. I know Erdegaard's now injured. Keep an eye on Smith-Rowe and Saka for coming back into the team. Um, you could invest in holding at 4.2 million as a cheap defensive enabler. Um, but that's probably where I'd end with Arsenal. Spurs, Son and Kane, get them in. They've got really good fixtures, but probably ignore the defence because you know what Spurs are like. Man City, if you want to enter Pep Roulette, enter Pep Roulette. But only Ruben Diaz and Edison have actually featured in more than 10 games of City's last 13. So you are gambling with Man City assets. Make sure you've got a strong bench if you take them on. And Liverpool, you could look at their defensive options. I think Trent uh, and Nat Phillips, of course, is a great enabler at four million. Uh, and Jota and Salah are, are the other really good attacking options. The other teams to look at, they've got which have got sort of short-term good fixture periods. You've got Wolves, game week 31 to 35, look at their defence. Leicester, 32 to 35, look at mostly their attack, maybe Fafana in defence. West Ham, Lingard, probably one of the best players to invest in, if not Sue Fallon Cresswell. Chelsea have got game week 31 to 34, good fixtures. Leeds end the season really strongly, three tough fixtures in a row, but then they go on to do really well. And then uh, Man United fixtures are a bit hit and miss, but I can't not have Bruno. So that'll be my uh, wrap-up for the uh, the best teams to invest in for this season. Uh, question two for you, mate. Who are the must-have players? Uh, short and sweet, Kane and Son, double game week in game week 32. They do blank in 33, so make sure you've not over-invested again in Spurs and Man City assets. Just keep an eye on that. Um, I think from Liverpool, I would say Trent and Jota. I've seen a lot of drafts with Salah in, um, and I'm just not buying it personally. Um, I'd be just investing in Trent, Jota and um, Phillips as a budget player. And Jesse Lingard is on absolute fire. Uh, let's see how he performs without Antonio. Hopefully he does really well still. Um, in terms of budget picks, I think you're looking at Phillips, like I've said, at four million. Fraser Forster at four million as well as the only playing goalkeeper at that price. Ian Acho and Holding, again, are enablers. Um, and then potentially Conor Cody and Rafinha. But I think must-haves, Nat Phillips and Forster will be the best bench enablers that I would say. It's in a few with Vidra in as well, but I'm not too keen on that personally. Great. Uh, third question is, what is the best way to structure a wildcard team? For those of you who are doing a wildcard in 31, I've done a wildcard in 31, but I think if you're not doing it in 31, you'll be doing it in 32 anyway, if you aren't. Um, goalkeeper, set and forget, uh, and then a budget keeper. If you're going for Edison, make sure you get uh, Sanchez in, because if you won't have a goalkeeper in game week 33, if you get Fraser Forster, but I'm going for Mendy and Forster. I think that'd be a good combination. Defenders, make sure you've got five defenders that rotate really well for the rest of the season. You don't want to be wasting any of your seven remaining free transfers on defensive transfers because they're just boring. So you want rotating players and there's some really good options there. Uh, double Liverpool's a good shout. Uh, get a Chelsea one in, Wolves and uh, 
and, and at Arsenal, they rotate really well. And then look at your midfielders and strikers. Um, I would be doing a captain matrix to see who you're going to captain every single game week and make sure you've got that player in your team. I, I did one myself, and I think you're looking at probably three out of three or four game weeks. You're looking at a Liverpool player, three three game weeks, four game weeks, you're looking at Kane. Um, so, yeah, make sure you've got those captain options covered. But that's how I'd structure midfield and strikers and spend your transfers chasing how the form is going there. Right, fourth and final question for you, mate. What do I do about my transfers if I don't have a wild card? Again, it's team dependent, this one, though, massively. You need to look at your captaincy options. That's number one. That's the first factor that you need to do in terms of if you're looking at your forward book transfers and you don't have a wild card. Um, and then after that, you need to take into account if you do have any other chips left. Um, but yeah, you need to be looking at the teams I mentioned at the beginning for long term investment and then planning using captaincy matrixes. Um, speaking of that, I want to go to captains for this week, actually. So thanks for those questions, Colin. And thank you again, everyone, for, for sending those questions in to me. Please send me more in. It, it's really great. I love answering them. I love talking about fantasy football. So don't hesitate to send them in to us uh, on uh, on social. For captains this week, probably looking at Lacazette versus Sheffield United, maybe Jota Salah or even Trent against Villa. Gamble on a Man City asset, potentially, if you want to. Um, and just to finish off my current wildcard draft at this very moment in time, going into game week 31, we've got Edward Mendy, Fraser Forster, Trent, Rudiger, Cody, Holding and Phillips, Bruno, Son, Jota, Lingard and Mason Mount makes the cut, Kane, Lacazette and Ian Acho. Thanks, Alex. Superb as always, mate. Right, we're going to finish off with some quickfire questions now. And for that, I'm going to hand you over to uh, Mr. Tom Hughes. Cheers, Cully. Uh, let's fire away and get straight into it. Uh, so, Cully, you're not going to like it, and we've already talked a little bit about Liverpool today, but a uh, pretty bad result against Real Madrid the other night. Uh, talk us through it, you know, what happened, and do you see any chance of you overturning that result? Uh, do I see any chance of us overturning the result? Um, a very slim chance. I think the key ingredient in terms of the fans are not there, so I give us a very slim 10% chance probably of going through. Um, it was the same old, same old this season of what we've seen from Liverpool. Um, we have a, a couple of good performances, uh, beat Arsenal comfortably, and then the first half was just absolutely grim from us. We couldn't make a pass. Even five yards or 20 yards, we couldn't make a pass didn't even lay a glove on Cruz or Modric, let them play. We didn't have a shot on target. We didn't have a shot, if I'm honest. Um, didn't have any territory. Uh, yeah, came... Well, I'd like to say it came out of the blue, but it's not this season. Um, I give us, yeah, a small chance, but I don't see it happening. No, nah, me neither, to be honest, mate. I think you're properly screwed. Uh... <laughs> 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 All right, we'll see. We'll see. You'll give it. They'll give it their best for sure. Um, Scott Norwich mm. put seven past Huddersfield uh, the other day to extend their lead at the Championship to eight points. Uh, their survival fight last time in the Prem was pretty limp. Uh, do you see it being going any better than this time around? And do you think they've got the players? Have they? Have they got the quality to remain in the Premier League next year? Yeah, they've got a few important factors. They've got the same manager that took them, um, obviously took them up first time to Premier League, um, had that season with them in there and has basically got them back up. Um, and what comes with that is experience, experience of how to handle games up there. Um, and they've kept a lot of the core players, Timo Pukki, Wendia, Campwell, 
a lot of their main players they've remained and performed fantastically in the championship. It was a bit of a weird one because I remember watching them against Liverpool first game of the season and they really impressed me. And I thought, you know what, they're going to have a good season here. And they beat Man City, let's not forget that, that crazy result. Um, but yeah, they sort of just deflated a bit, didn't they? Uh, sort of after Christmas. But I think they've got a great chance. We've seen teams do sort of yo-yo before. I think Burnley did it a few years ago and then they've, they've remained ever since in the Premier League. So I think they've got a good chance. They need to recruit smartly in the summer. But yeah, I think they can survive next year, definitely. Certainly going to be an interesting one. I think it's going to be a really competitive Premier League next year. So uh, will be fun for everybody. Uh, Colley, uh, the other side of Liverpool... Uh, Everton, winless in four. Uh, we talk a lot about Arteta and Mourinho and their failings and the, the failings at Spurs and Tottenham, but should Everton be doing more? They started off the season amazingly and we're celebrating the league title in November, from what I remember. Uh, but has Ancelotti done a good job? Is he the man to potentially push them onto a top four finish in the next couple of years? Yes, he, he could be, well be. He's got the best chance of anyone because he's one of the best managers that's been around in the last 20-odd years. Uh, winning three European Cups. I mean, who's done that recently apart from Zidane? Um, but yeah, he's definitely the man. Uh, it was a coup for Everton to get him in the first place. They should definitely stick with him and back him in the transfer market as they have been doing. I think it depends on the expectation. There's so many teams in the Premier League that are bigger than them, have got more budget than them. Um, things People like City, Spurs, United, Liverpool, Arsenal, Chelsea, there's six just off the bat. Uh, so it depends on their expectation. I think they'll de- be disappointed from the start they made in the season. They had a really good start and people were talking about them as title contenders. But if they get the Europa League or finish just outside, it'll be an okay season for them. But they just need to keep building slowly. They recruited some decent players in Decore, Allen, uh, James, obviously, uh, Olsen, the, the backup GK, and Ben Godfrey, who I really like. So yeah, slowly but surely, they'll get to uh, where they want to be. Yeah, I think you're right. Ancelotti is a brilliant established manager. They've just got to, Everton are not going to, at this point, going to get a better manager than that. So they've just got to back him, haven't they? Exactly. Um, yeah. Uh, talking of Europe, Scott, we'll just finish up with mm. uh, talking about Bayern PSG. Uh, what a game that was. Uh, unbelievable. So much talent on that pitch. But who stood out for you? And how do you see that second leg going? Who's going through? What a game of football. Um, I'm I'm a like most people probably these days. I'll sit down for a game of football, but I will get distracted by my mobile phone and be going through social media. But I'm happy to say I put it to one side and I just soaked up every single moment. It was brilliant. It was like a basketball game back and forth and just sheer class on display. It was not cagey and it was just two teams going for it. I loved it. Best players for me, I mean, Kylian Mbappe, of course. He just showed his pure class. Talk about confidence in front of goal. That split second where he's just... They've committed the keeper one way and he just put it through the defender's legs. That is just... That's muscle memory right there. And that's just so impressive. Marquinhos looked good. Took his goal like an unbelievable striker. What a finish. Um, and Thomas Muller. He had never seen anyone with so much fight on a football pitch. So which way is it going to go? I mean... I'm going to just say PSG, just. But they've been very on and off form this season, especially in the league. So wouldn't be surprised um, by me to turn that around. But yeah, just PSG for me. But what a game. Loved it. Yeah, I 
really, really good uh, shout. That I think Marquinhos, unbelievable half an hour he had, wasn't it? Uh, gets a second goal, and then two minutes later he's off the pitch. Uh, and you do wonder if he stayed on the pitch the way he was playing, if PSG might have kept a clean sheet in that game. So, yeah, uh, it'll be an exciting second leg for sure. Bayern are going to have to go for it. Uh, cheers to that, boys. I'll pass back over to you to round us off, Colleen. Thanks, Tom. Yeah, plenty more quick-fire questions next week. But uh, we're going to end it there. Thanks for your time, as always, fellas. Uh, if you want to follow us on social media, you can do on All In Football Pod on Instagram, All In Football P on Twitter. Please remember to gamble responsibly, as there's lots of one for the anchor content on social media, as well as plenty of fantasy football. Next week, we'll be talking about young players of the season, previewing Leeds against Liverpool. Big game, that for me and Tom especially. Uh, other Premier League games we'll be reacting to. And the quarterfinal results of the Champions League will be in and the Europa League as well. So thanks for listening, everyone. Have a great weekend. We'll